How is everyone? Good. Hot enough for you out there? Wow. I came back. My grass was green when I left, brown when I got back. I think uh, it's hotter here than in the Middle East, I can honestly uh, say. Brutal. Brutal. So thanks for enduring and being here, and thank God that we have air conditioning in our buildings, right? Can you imagine, like, living here... 18 something, you know, when uh, they gathered for church with no air conditioning. I don't know. I don't, we're, they were tough. They were tough. I want to celebrate a couple things this morning before we uh, get in. We had a, a really, really great experience in our journey in Israel. And uh, I just want to say thank you to all of you who uh, not only went, but provided scholarship and prayed for people to go. So we took 36 people. I think we have some pictures that we're going to show you. We took 36 uh people to walk the ancient paths of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I can't tell you how God speaks. It is unique and uh, really, really fruitful experience. On this particular trip, we were able to take five God's Army uh, individuals, I think five, four, five. Anyway, four or five God's army individuals and uh, those of you that have given scholarship to provide for veterans and gold star families to go. Uh, these are the, these are the guys. So uh, minus Ronan and me on the on the far left. Uh, their experience is tremendous and to watch them uh, grow and and develop and to, to see the healing that takes place. Uh, is awesome. We all had an incredible time. And I just want to encourage you, if you ever have the opportunity to go and study the text in context, you will gain an appreciation that you uh, have yet to experience. Uh, And so I just want to invite you. uh, We have another experience coming up, September 11 to 21 in Turkey. Uh, Lots of people are like, Turkey. Why Turkey? I don't see Turkey in my Bible. It's, it's everything Paul and John wrote, basically. So uh, it's phenomenal, and it's all about how do you take the gospel? How did the disciples take the gospel from Jerusalem to Roman Asia Minor, to this powerful Roman cult? Uh, and how, how, did they, how did they penetrate that? And the lessons for us are tremendous for taking the gospel to the 21st century American culture that we are in uh, today. So I'd invite you to come to that. Registration for that is right now. We do have some some, uh, availability, so I'd love for you to come. I am uh, just going to confess that I'm still jet lagging to a degree. And so if uh, I just need grace this morning. So how many of you say, hey, I'm going to give Pastor Brian grace. Raise your hand. Thank you. For those of you that did not raise your hand, we have cameras and we were watching. <clears throat> I do want to say, and I think it would be remiss to, to say nothing. This week has been monumental in the life of our country, particularly related to uh, the, for the first time in 50 years, it's not viewed as a constitutional right to end the life of an unborn child. The reason that I'm 49 years old, born in 1973, there's that many years of kids. And so I'm really grateful. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we should praise that that should be one 
when we've been praying now now we should we should praise God uh, for that, but at the same time, we need to love and commit to some things uh, because what that does is um, the Church of Jesus Christ has actually stood in this gap for a long time. That's why you have all the pregnancy help centers, things like Hope House and Anchor Point Sanctuary. And that's why you have people that have been adopting and doing foster care and for all, all these years. But we need to even more step into that um, on the backside of this, this ruling. And we need to offer ministry and love and support to families, to children, to women. Uh, who are going to be in need, maybe even in greater, uh, greater ways in our state. And I hope that our church can be part of that uh, solution. And we need to continue to pray, I think, in two ways. One, not only that it's thankful that it's unconstitutional, but that in our culture become unthinkable, that it would be something that is just uh, unthinkable. And then uh, we need to pray for many. You know, one thing that, you're privy to as a pastor that maybe not everybody's privy to is that um, there are many people that have been impacted by abortion in multiple directions, just in this congregation. And so there's all kinds of emotion and pain and feeling and hurt and all, all kinds of stuff that comes with all of that. And we need to pray and lead with love and compassion in these days. And so I just want to lead us in prayer uh, right now and, uh, because I think it's the best, our best uh, next step. And I want to encourage you to get involved in kingdom partnerships like Anchor Point, Home House, uh, Hope House, uh, Sanctuary, uh, Friendswood Pregnancy Help Center, all of these partnerships that we have uh, to make a difference. Let's pray. Father, we do uh, come before you and we are grateful and we say thank you. God, the the burden of lives lost is tremendous and I'm thankful uh, for the reversal of uh, a constitutional uh, right that was afforded so many years ago. And I pray, God, that um, in our country that we would view this as, as unthinkable, as immoral, as, as wrong. Father, we're struggling as a country. We're, we're not only polarized, we're fragmented in our thought. And so, God, I pray that you would help us as the Church of Jesus Christ to keep our eyes on you, to uphold the truth, and to love people, all kinds of people, really, really, really well like you do. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to get you to stand back up. Galatians chapter 1, 1 to 9. If you're our guest, we say this phrase, the very words, just to distinguish uh, God's word from my own. And today we're going to begin a summer study in the book of Galatians. Here's what the scripture says. Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ 
and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, an angel or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You could be seated. The letter that we are reading today was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And the churches of Galatia particularly were struggling with an issue. And the issue looked like this. They had received the gospel message, the good news that Jesus Christ died on a cross to save them from their sins, that he rose again from the dead, that he's coming back again. It was freely offered. They had received that good news and that freedom, but people were coming in, what we would call like Judaizers, were coming in and they were saying, hey, that's really good, but it's Jesus. It's really got to be Jesus plus a few things. Jesus plus following dietary laws. Jesus plus dressing right. Jesus plus circumcision. And so the church at Galatia began to embrace these things because do you know that it's easier for us as humans to embrace a salvation of rules and law than it is to embrace a freely given grace by God, because we understand rules and laws. We understand what it means to break a law and what we deserve if we break a law and all those kinds of things. It makes sense. It's just, it's legal, but this was different. And Paul uses this incredibly strong language to the church of Galatia. I mean, can you imagine if the, if the apostle Paul showed up and and, and, you know, it's like almost like a locker room talk. Like, what are you guys doing? I'm astonished that you would desert Jesus so fast. Now he used the word astonished. He used the word dis- desert. He uses the word distort. I mean, he is, he is fired up that they are leaving behind the gospel. And so what I want to do this morning, just in following these first nine verses, is to show you a couple of things. And the first is just to, to answer the question, what is the gospel? And you might think to yourself, well, that sounds really elementary, but it's not elementary. It's often distorted in the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America. Often. So let's just hear what Paul says it is. And I'll I'll jump back to to verse three in his introduction. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the, the framework of the gospel is just exactly what Paul is saying there. Grace and peace. Grace to you afforded by God, peace to you afforded by God. Sometimes when we think of peace, we think of just like uh, no division in our borders, no war in our borders. But this is a different kind of peace. This is peace with God, peace with each other, no shame, no guilt, no blame, that kind of peace. It's grace, meaning that he afforded it completely. We did nothing to deserve it. He's offering it completely in fact you did things to to make you not deserve it but he's offering it 
completely. It's the grace and peace. It's initiated by God from God, our, our Lord and Savior, from Jesus Christ. Verse 4, it says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. So, so that part of the framework of the gospel is that he gave himself for our sins. It was motivated by him, initiated by him. He did that. You had nothing to do with that. He did the work. He gave himself for our sins. John, the writer, uses a a big fancy word, propitiation. It's actually the best word to talk about. He gave himself for our sins because it wasn't just a sacrifice, like one of a, a million different sacrifices that had been offered in the Jewish system for sin. He was a unique, one of a kind, substitutionary sacrifice. Meaning he took the wrath of God, the penalty of our sin, all of it at once. At once he was unique. He gave himself for our sins. You realize he did not merely, Tim Keller says it this way, he did not merely buy us a second chance, like to do life all over again, to get it right this time. A lot of people think about the gospel that way. I've received Jesus and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it right. I'm going to do life this time. It's a time that I've got a second chance. He didn't die merely to give us a, a second chance. He, he died to deliver us. Because by definition, we were so wayward and so lost, we needed rescue. Just imagine being in a completely dark place with no direction and no light and no food and no water, destined to die. You needed rescue of that kind of sort. There's nothing you you could do. That kind of deliverance uh, we needed. And it was all according to the will of the Father. I mean, there's no motivation or cause in the context of Scripture for the mission and message of Jesus Christ. No motivation or cause for the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No motivation or cause except the will of God. You realize that, right? Like Jesus didn't have a hero complex. It's it's not a, a fabricated story by humanity, but instead this is the will of God. You see. Paul said it a different way when he wrote to the church at Ephesians. He said in Ephesians 2, 4 to 9, but God being rich in mercy because of of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up and with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then he repeats it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your, your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What Paul is saying is like the... The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that God has offered forgiveness of sin and life transformation completely by grace. Because he wanted to, because he loved with a love love that never ends. It's not based on Jesus plus kosher dietary laws, not based on Jesus plus how you dress, not based on Jesus plus circumcision. It is it is based on his grace and his goodness to us. That understanding of the gospel should be really, really freeing to us. Because we understand that there was nothing I could do to get it. 
but God gave it to me. And that means he loves me. And that means nobody can ever take it away. And that means I don't have to do anything to get it. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is the beauty of the gospel. That is the gospel. Jesus died on a cross to save you from your sin. He rose again three days later, defeating the penalty of sin and death. He ascended to heaven. He's coming back again. The scriptural requirement in order to be saved is one thing. Belief. Belief. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not belief plus kosher, not belief plus how you dress, not belief plus circumcision, or anything else that we might put in that blank. It's, it's by grace through faith. That's the gospel. Now, what's the, pro- the problem with, there, there is a problem with getting the gospel wrong as a church. There is a problem with getting the gospel wrong as a church. And and this is the problem that Paul was addressing here to the church at Galatia. Because churches propagate the message. It's not just the message from this pulpit, but the church goes out into places of influence every day and propagates the message. What if they have the wrong message? What if they have a distorted message, a different message? What if it's not right? Then we get it wrong and it causes all kinds of problems. There's a problem with getting the gospel wrong as a church. And Paul gives us like three D's here. He was, must have been appealing to the 21st century American preacher. Three D's. Like, wow, it's so good. Number one, the problem with getting the gospel wrong as a church is that we desert Christ in that. We desert Christ. Look at verse six. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ. We desert Christ. When we add to the gospel or we change it, we are in the process of leaving Jesus and leading other people astray. Our allegiance is changing as we leave behind the true gospel. If it's Jesus plus anything, we have changed it. In this case, of, of the, the church of Galatia, the addition of religious rules was the problem for salvation. Paul is astonished at these additions. Like, why would you chain yourself back up with that? The gospel is so good. It's so, so right. What would you add to? It's totally grace, totally rescue, total deliverance. But do you want to add to it grace? You want to add to grace, circumcision, dietary laws, etc. Why would you, why would you do that? And he, and he accuses them of deserting Christ. They might've just thought to themselves intentionally, they were trying harder. They were trying to be completely and totally obedient. Paul says, I'm astonished that you would desert Christ by adding to the gospel. So the second thing in verse six and seven that we find is not only do that, do we desert Christ when we get the gospel wrong, but we, we propagate or preach a different gospel. Verse six and seven, it says, uh, you know, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. And want to distort the gospel. A different gospel is really not a gospel at all. Any other news is not good news. There's not another one. Jesus plus anything renders the gospel null and void. 
Have you ever been to uh, one of those meetings where they're like, hey, we'll give you a trip to, I'll just pick a place, Cozumel. Uh, but if you, if you show up, uh, Cozumel, we just need you to attend this 30-minute meeting. Uh, and when you go to the 30-minute meeting, uh, we're going to just show you some stuff that we have going on, some hotel, timeshare, that kind of stuff. And, and this is going to be a no-pressure deal, you know, and at the end of it, if, you know, you can have a warm-baked chocolate chip cookie and go back to the beach if you want. And so you, you take that deal, right, and you show up for the 30-minute meeting, which turns into a two-hour meeting, and you find out you can't get out the door until you've signed on the dotted line, and then you get your cookie. I was really there for the cookie the whole time. I didn't want a timeshare, you know, that kind of thing. It's strings attached. The gospel has no strings attached. It is by grace through faith. And Paul is saying, like, when you try to tie things up, make the gospel different by adding kosher, dietary, dress, circumcision, whatever, you're rendering it null and void. And the interesting fruit of a gospel uh, that, that is Jesus plus anything is guilt, shame, blame, devastation, and defeat. Because you know what? You can't do it. You cannot keep the law. You can't keep the rules. And Jesus knew it. And that's why he was sent to forgive us of our sin. A different gospel. So when we, when we get the gospel wrong, we not only desert Christ, but we're, we're propagating a, a, a different gospel. In my opinion, the, uh, there is an entire generation that's about my age, maybe a little bit younger, that grew up in what is called moral therapeutic deism. Moral therapeutic deism was like, if you're good enough uh, and strong enough and you obey enough, God's going to be, uh, he's going to be happy with you and you can change the world. You can't be good enough. You can't be strong enough on your own. Um, here's news for you. Probably not going to change the world. That's a lot of pressure. Jesus is the world changer. We had songs. You can be a world changer. Anybody sang that song by me? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Southern Baptist Convention, don't watch. Um, <laughs> because that, that was actually an awesome program called World Changers. But it, it just propagated this message of moral therapeutic deism that was like, if you're just good enough and strong enough, Jesus will be happy with you and you can change the world. And the reality is we can't change the world. I can't be good enough. I can't be strong enough. And so what you did with that is either you compartmentalized and you didn't let the Jesus part impact the rest of your life. Or you called the church abusive and you walked because you couldn't keep any of that, right? Because Jesus wasn't really as good as everybody said he was. That's, that's what poured out of moral therapeutic deism. It's a different gospel. It's wrong. Here's the, the third thing that we find in this passage of scripture. In verse 7 to 9, it says uh, this. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus. That's our third D, distort. But even if, if we or an angel of heaven should preach uh, to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be a, a curse. So a distorted gospel. We, we desert Christ. We propagate a different gospel, and it is a distorted gospel. Churches get the gospel wrong in a number of ways. They distort the gospel in a number of ways. And then we could list 25 of them probably, but I'm going to list four, four for you. Two that I think that are subtle and, and probably really dangerous. And then two that are more obvious to us that we would, we would yes and amen very quickly. 
The first one is, is very su- subtle. Call it a gospel of surrender and obedience. On the, on the surface, it doesn't sound bad, right? Like surrender your life to Christ. Uh, uh, be obedient. The implication is that if you surrender enough, obey enough, work your way to God based on a level of surrender and piety, this subjective level that somehow sounds right on the surface. I mean, when are you surrendered enough? Who gets to decide that? Is it a moving target? Are you surrendered more on some days than other days? After all, discipleship is to hear and obey, right? So obedience is a big part of the outcome of our faith in Jesus Christ. But the gospel of salvation is one of salvation by grace. He did all the work. I can't surrender enough to save myself. I won't. He did all the work. To make your level of surrender and obedience a factor is to be saved by your own performance. To behave your way. It's a great theological term for this. Nope. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love to become self-saviors. Did you know that? We love to twist our practical theology just a little bit to become self-saviors where we surrender our lives. We submit. We ask Jesus to come into our heart. We do all the work. It's by grace. It's his motivation. He does it. The work, belief. Belief. That's the first one, gospel, surrender, and obedience. It's very subtle. It's less obvious, and that makes it more dangerous. Second, a gospel of being a loving, good, tolerant person, right? This gospel says the implication that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are a good and loving person. Just love God and love people. Good people will find their way to God regardless of their religion or their lack thereof. So just be nice. That sounds open-minded, and it totally jives with the culture. The problem is it embraces a gospel of works. So I'm to be good. That's subjective. Am I good enough right now? Am I going to be good enough tomorrow? It's a gospel of works in its own weird way, and it negates the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And this also makes people think that if they are tolerant and open, they are pleasing God. There's no need for grace in that situation, just tolerance. There's a great theological word for this one too. Nope. It's not based on how you uh, are nice, how you, even how you love people. Do you know that like you can go to a, a pagan corporate place like like starbucks and read on the wall like here are all the service projects and here are all the things that we're doing in the community to 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 make a difference you know anybody can do that stuff it's not just the, the church that can do that stuff anybody can can do that stuff that's that's a gospel of of love and tolerance which i'm not negating love but what i'm saying to you is that it is not the thing that makes you right with god it's not the thing that saves you it is the grace of God. It's not enough to be a good, loving, tolerant person. And that's less obvious in our culture and among our churches, maybe not in this church, but in lots of churches, very, very uh, subtle. 
Because Jesus is a love God, love people guy. He's a good Samaritan guy. He's a love your neighbor as yourself guy. You can twist that into such a way, if I just love really well, it's going to get me there. Nope. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Here's the third way we, we tend to distort the gospel. It's called, I would call it a gospel of extreme legalism. I think this one is obvious uh, to us, uh, but this is the implication uh, that small differences in our dress or our custom or the way we do things uh, is, is, it makes a big difference. This is what the false teachers of Galatia were imposing on the gospel. Paul, uh, the church of Galatia, it's, it, it is not enough to believe that by grace you've been saved. You need to be circumcised. You need to eat kosher. You need to dress according to the Torah. Wear tassels. And Paul is like, I'm astonished that you would lean into that. That's legalism, a gospel of extreme legalism. And the church is prone to it uh, through the years. Uh, Usually we react to what I would call licentiousness with a harsh turn toward uh, legalism. And legalism is just as bad as licentiousness. It's, uh, It's a cage, just like just like uh, licentiousness is a gospel of extreme legalism. The fourth one that I would just point out that's very common that I think most of us see is a gospel of worldly prosperity and health. The implication is that the people who have received Jesus will have earthly health and wealth. How many of you like prove that is not the case, (laughs) right? I mean, it's got to work for everybody. If it's going to work, you got to be able to take the gospel uh, to some place in in the, in the, in the near East or Northern Africa and sit under a tree and it's got to work. The gospel of health and wealth does not work. Um, It's not true that when you receive Jesus, that he will uh, fill your coffers and make sure that you never get sick. It's a lie. The reverse is that you don't uh, have earthly health and wealth. You might not be saved in this uh, culture. Like the question would be like, what's going on with them? Do they even know Jesus? Uh, No, I'm broke. I know Jesus and I'm broke. I'm just like him. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. I'm broke, right? Remember the widow's mite story? He liked broke people. Leave me alone. You know, that, that kind of thing. That's the gospel of of worldly prosperity and health. The gospel of Jesus promised not worldly, but eternal health and wealth. (laughs) Eternal life through him. Inheritance to all of everything that he owns, which is everything. It's not a worldly thing. It's It's an eternal thing. And there are others. We could go on and on and on and on, but the church has a tendency to distort the gospel uh, in a number of different ways. Now, a third thing that I, I or, or the question that I, I just like to ask here is how serious is the problem of preachers and people of the church distorting the gospel? How serious is that problem? Well, look at what Paul says here in Galatians chapter 1, 8, and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, repeated, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And Paul is not in the pages of scripture going around cursing people. 
But here he's saying to the preacher or to the one who propagates a distorted uh, gospel, a different gospel, one that deserts Jesus, that, that's different than you've been saved through grace by faith, by grace through faith. Anything else, that preacher should be um, cursed. Paul speaks curses on those who distort the gospel. It's deadly serious. It's a big problem. It's not just like, well, I'm not going to go to that church because this preacher, you know, preaches a, a weird gospel or don't go to a church like that. But what I'm saying is that it's, it's bigger than one particular church. It's a problem globally. And we should know the real gospel, the true gospel, so that we can see a counterfeit one and we should reject it wholly, a counterfeit gospel. Third point, last thing. Do you believe the true gospel? Do you believe the true gospel? I want you to stop and consider, do I? Some of you received a gospel of works. And you believe it and you feel the burden of it. You're constantly trying to save yourself by measuring up. You might, say, you might say intellectually, I, I did not receive a gospel of works. But if you're trying to behave, work your way to heaven, you receive the gospel of works. Freedom should be like, I get to be obedient because God has saved me by his grace. And I want to be close to him. So I want to obey him because I love him. When I get it wrong, that doesn't mean I'm not going to be in heaven with him because it was by his grace that I've been saved. When I get it wrong, it means that I repent to him. Like, Father, forgive me. I've sinned. And he receives us, again, by his grace, his will, through Jesus, you know. But some of you have received you have received a gospel of works and you believe it and you're burdened by it and you wonder if you're measuring up, will you ever be good enough? No is the answer to that question. No is the answer to that question. There's not anybody in the room that is good enough. None. Some of you, you believe this gospel of works so much that you, you actually impose it on other people. You require such things from them and it burdens them. Or you don't share the gospel at all because deep down in your heart, you don't think it's really that good because you got to do X, Y, and Z in order to stay in line. To be in good graces with God. It's by grace that you've been saved. Some of you receive a gospel of tolerance. One of many ways to Jesus. I mean, to to God. That you heard the Christian message and you thought to yourself, "This this is good for me, but there are lots of different ways. Lots of different good people make it to heaven. And I want to say to you that this is also false. Um, hell will be filled with lots of good people. 
if the scripture is accurate. Hell will be filled with lots of good people. When you think about your, like your neighbor, your family member, your coworker, whatever, man, he's a good guy. She's such a great person, you know, all that kind of stuff. But hell will be filled with people like that. Not because of their works, not because they did anything necessarily so egregiously bad in life, but they sinned because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's because they did not come to faith in Jesus Christ by whom grace is offered. And the scripture teaches anybody can have that grace, but there's not more than one way. Jesus said clearly, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the narrow door. He is the narrow path. He's the way. Anybody can walk it, but he's the way, and the requirement is belief. That's it. Some of you received the gospel of tolerance, and you need to know that that's a false gospel. You need to put that down and you need to realize what the scripture teaches, that there's only one way and no other way. You cannot work your way to heaven, no matter what your motivation is in those works. So what would I say to you at the beginning of our study of the book of Galatians? The whole book is about the application of the gospel and how the church should walk in it in a place like we live in today. It's very applicable to us, but if you don't get the gospel right at the very beginning, then you're going to miss everything, everything that comes after this. And so we have to be honest with our, ourselves. Um, <clears throat> and that's hard for us, especially if you grew up in church. Can I say something to you who grew up in church right now? There's a really good chance that you embrace the gospel of works. There's a really good chance. And you just simply need to confess that and ask Jesus to give you the sense of freedom that comes from his grace. Not freedom to do whatever you want in life. Freedom to understand that your salvation is secure and not based on your merit. Man. So I went through that. I I was one of those kids that received Christ at five years old, right? So five years old, I was First Baptist Church, Waverly, Tennessee. I guarantee you in 1978 at a First Baptist Church in that part of Tennessee, there was some hell, fire, and brimstone going on. I was sitting like back there, maybe four or five rows back because my parents were like up front, you know, we're going to be there, all that kind of stuff. Good, I'm grateful for it. But he preached on hell that Sunday. I remember five-year-old mind of mine remembers like, I do not want to go there. And then he asked me and everybody else in the room, who doesn't want to go to hell? That was the invitation. I do not want to go to hell. Not any time. And so I bolted at the invitation, like save me from hell. And I remember like my dad, you know, he tried to grab the pocket of my pants like this. And it was like, boop, and I just kept going. And then we're in this moment down on the front row, like, thank you, Jesus. This boy, fill out a card. I'm like, how do I write my name again? Yeah. And um, 
and I got baptized. And, uh, and after that, I learned through the, the different systems and classes and all that kind of stuff. Like my takeaway was I have to be good. Have to be good. And by the time I was 13, I was like, am I even saved? You know why I was asking that question? Because I hadn't been good. And if you have to be good, you don't know if you're saved or not. And I'm really grateful for that Holy Spirit encounter sort of my life. And then a youth pastor later that like mentored me and was like, dude, you're not working your way there. But I really believe that some of you grew up in church have similar constructs in your life or similar stories where he just thought, you know, I have to be, I have to be good. And, and here's the, the good news, friends. There's no other God in the universe that says, I want to give my one-of-a-kind son by my will and out of love so that you can be completely forgiven. Because look, I know, I see I know. The things that you think people don't see and know, God knows. And, and, and he said, it's my will to crush him. To be a propitiation, a sacrificial substitute, a one-of-a-kind sacrifice. John said it this way, God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one-of-a-kind son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There, there's no other evangelion. You know the word evangelion. It's where we get our word evangelism. Evangelion means good news. There's lots of gods with an evangelion. I don't know if you knew that or not. Lots of people with a gospel, like Caesar Augustus has a gospel. Uh, lots of gods with a gospel. But none of it is as good as the as Jesus's. All of it requires like do this, do that, do the other. Submit, do this, do that, do the other. And Jesus just says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Forget kosher and tassels and circumcision. Follow me. There's no gospel, no good news, greater than the one that says, in Christ, I've been made a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There's no greater gospel that says, I am justified, forgiven, and promised heaven when I die. And all along the way, I've been given this gift of the Holy Spirit to convict me when I'm wrong, and that I get to repent. And every time I repent, he's going to receive me. By his grace, never once does he get tired of me and say, I don't like this guy anymore. He keeps on sinning. No, Jesus did all the work for my forgiveness by grace, for your forgiveness by grace. Do not be robbed of joy. Satan's a joy robber. Did you know that? That's one of the things he loves to do is suck the joy out of people. Look around. 
Do not be robbed of joy as a follower of Jesus by thinking, I have to be good to be right with God. Here's the deal. Obedience flows from salvation, but it will never save you. It will never, ever save you. You know who was good? Jesus was good. He was good and he never sinned. He died on a cross. He's good now. He's sanctifying us. He's making us like him. And one day we'll be with him. All of that is really good news. Really, really good news. The church of Jesus in the United States today is asleep in the light when it comes to the gospel. Like you, I want to make you feel, but I can't manufacture that. It's the Holy Spirit that can do that. But I want to make you feel the freedom that comes with the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to make you feel it. If I could make you feel it, if I could inject it in your life, I I would. But I can't. It's the Holy Holy Spirit that has to do that. You have been set free. And what the Spirit sets free is free indeed, according to the Scripture. Do not put yourself back into a distorted gospel. Do not desert Jesus by saying, I have to work my way to heaven. Um, No, you can't. He's that good. He's that good. Also, church, don't require that gospel of people that adds to the burden, the shackle of, um, you got to clean your life up. And then come to Jesus. It doesn't work that way either. You can't clean it up enough. So don't burden people that way. Just meet them where they are with the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel. Freely given, freely received. And it's so good. And Paul was just astonished, just disturbed that the church would embrace some distorted view of the gospel. They would desert Jesus like that because the gospel is so good. Jesus, the, me- the, the, the message of Jesus is so good. Like, why would you add anything to that? I want to invite you to receive the true gospel today. If you never have, or if you, you, you adopted in your life some sort of weird version of the gospel, uh, the, the, the scripture says that, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you come to him and ask, you're saved. Why? By his grace. It's by his grace. You haven't done anything too egregious that he can't save you. It doesn't matter what you think. He can, he's, 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 he's sovereign over all of it. He can save any sin. You haven't abandoned him too far. Some of you are sitting here in the room thinking to yourself, uh, I, I once knew Jesus, but I've walked too far away or I'm faking it. Some of you are sitting here right now thinking, I'm faking it. Well, maybe you embrace the gospel of works. You can't do all those things. And so you're hypocritical. But I know that if you receive the true gospel, it will change you. It changes you because it, it, it makes you love God in a way, because in a different way, because you know how much he loved you first. And I want to invite you just to receive that. 
And uh, you don't have to make any, uh, you don't have to fill anything out for me on that. If you do, great. What you need to do is just come to Jesus in prayer and tell him thank you for dying on a cross to save you from your sins. Ask him to be uh, who he is and to draw you near to him and to forgive you of your sin. That's it. He loves you. Listen to this, church. You're gonna go out there. There's a lot of people who don't love you out there, probably. He loves you unconditionally. And he has lavished you with his grace. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and let's just pray. Father, we bless your name. You're good and there's none like you. And so many people, Father, we, we hear about Jesus. We hear about you, Lord. We, we understand versions of your gospel, but, but to hear it with clarity and to understand your grace is magnificent. And we say thank you. Lord, I pray for every person that's heard this message and that's interacted with this passage of scripture by your spirit. Would you speak to them deeply today? Help them to embrace the true gospel and offer freely the true gospel to others. Save souls today and, uh, and equip people to, to carry the true gospel where they go uh, as they leave this place. Father, we love you so much. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.